You know, it's interesting. We celebrate the incarnation. If you don't know, that's a technical term of when Jesus came as a baby in human flesh. It's called the incarnation. We, we celebrate that. We receive the forgiveness when Jesus died on a cross. Um, we proclaim the resurrection when Jesus rose back to life. And that's where so many followers stop. Uh, people think that the resurrection was the finish line. We've been talking a little bit about that, that that was Jesus' end goal, his end game. But the resurrection, you want to fill this in, the resurrection was only the beginning of what Jesus is doing. Come on, say it with me. If you've been here, you already probably know it by now. The resurrection was only the beginning. I don't hear you. Let's try it again. The resurrection was only the beginning of what Jesus is doing. And I'm thankful for that. I'm glad that the resurrection was only the beginning of what Jesus is doing in my life today. However many thousands of years later, he's still doing something in my life, and I'm, I'm thankful for that. We've been talking about that for the last several weeks. So after Jesus died, he came back to life, and look at what he told his disciples in Acts chapter 1, verse 4. Do not leave Jerusalem until the Father sends you the gift he promised, as I told you before. Now I want you to catch a couple of words, four words there. You may want to circle them on or underline them on your outline. Look at it, it says the gift he promised, the gift he promised. Don't leave Jerusalem until the Father sends the gift he promised. So my question right off the bat was, what did God promise? I mean, what is he, what is he talking about? Well, in the time of the Old Testament, the, the Old Covenant, the Holy Spirit was active in individuals chosen by God for specific tasks. He, was, he would move through prophets, he would move through warriors, he would move through leaders and kings, um, prophets would declare things like, thus saith the Lord, and, and God would speak through them. Or the Spirit of the Lord would come upon warriors or leaders for certain tasks and certain circumstances. But what we find in the, in the Old Testament um, is that God spoke of a day coming in the future where he promised the time that he would pour out his Spirit on everyone that everyone would have that kind of access. Take a look at Ezekiel 36. I love this passage. I will, God says, I will give you a new heart. I will take out your stony, stubborn heart and give you a tender, responsive heart. And I, read this last part, and I will put my spirit in you. He spoke of pouring out his spirit no longer on a few people, but on all people in the prophet's Joel writing. He, he says, God says, I will pour out my spirit upon all people. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your, un, your old men, rather, will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. In those days, I will pour out my spirit on men and women alike. So this is what took place in Acts chapter 2. We talked a little bit about it last week. But in Acts chapter 2, and then in the later part of Acts chapter 2, we'll get to this later, Peter preaches and he shares how God's promise is being fulfilled. The promise of the Holy Spirit being poured out on everyone is being fulfilled. Acts chapter 2 is a demonstration of the power of God. And a lot of times, that's what we focus on. We, we read the, the narrative of Acts chapter 2 and the day of Pentecost and the, how the Holy Spirit came upon the believers and all that. And we see it as a demonstration of, of the power of God. But what we, what we fail to realize is it was a fulfillment of the promise of God. And, and the cool thing is the infilling of the Holy Spirit is something promised not just to those early followers, those early believers, but it's a promise that God makes to us, to you and me today as well. The outpouring of the Holy Spirit isn't just a past promise, but it's a present reality. 
The, the book of Acts reveals what Jesus wants to do, not has done, but wants to do through his followers and through the church. Jesus told his disciples in Acts 1 verse, uh, verse 4 again, do not leave Jerusalem until the Father sends you the gift he promised. Look at this phrase, as I told you before. Jesus is saying, hey guys, this isn't new. I told you this before. I was already giving you a heads up that this was going to be taking place. Jesus had told his disciples about the outpouring of the Holy Spirit many times, especially during those last moments that John records, like in John 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, where they were in the upper room. They were participating with what we call the Last Supper communion together, the Passover together. And, and Jesus is telling them in those last moments about the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. I mean, look at what he says in John chapter 14. Jesus says, I will ask the Father and he will give you an advocate who will never leave you. Look at what he says. He is the what? Holy Spirit. Who? It's the Holy Spirit who leads into all truth. And then John 16, Jesus says, I'm going away to the one who sent me. In fact, it's best for you that I go away because if I don't, the advocate won't come. If I don't go away, then, if I, I'm sorry, if I do go away, then I will send him to you. Jesus is saying, I've already told you this, guys. I've already told you about the Holy Spirit. I find it interesting that, that Jesus now in Acts 1, he connects this with a character that is a prominent character in the New Testament. He connects the outpouring of the Holy Spirit with John the Baptist, or John the Baptizer, the John, the, not the Apostle John, but this guy named John who was baptizing people in the name of the Lord. Take a look, Acts 1 verse 4. Jesus says, don't leave Jerusalem until the Father sends you the, promise, the, uh, the gift he promised. As I told you before, John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So who is this John, and how is the connection made? Well, the writer Mark tells us in his gospel Chapter 1, verse 4, all of Judea, including the people of Jerusalem, went out to see and hear this John that Jesus is speaking of. And when they confessed their sins, John baptized them in the Jordan River, and John announced, someone is coming soon who is greater than I am, so much greater that I'm not even worthy to untie the straps of his sandals. Look what he says. I baptize you, John says, I baptize you with water, but he, the one who is coming, will baptize you with what? The Holy Spirit. Wow. So these Jesus followers, these disciples, they, they, they have heard this from Jesus and others speaking about the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, the baptizing of the Holy Spirit. They just didn't know the details until now. Look what Jesus says. Do not leave Jerusalem. That's where. Do not leave Jerusalem until the Father sends the gift that he promised. As I told you before, John baptized with water, but in a few days, that's when, in a few days, you will be, what, baptized with the Holy Spirit. That's what. So right here, he's giving them the where, the when, and the what. Wow. This was something they'd never experienced before. This is what I don't want you to miss. They were already followers of Jesus. Everybody catches that, right? He's not speaking to those that are new to the faith. He's speaking to guys that have followed him for a long time, women that have followed him for a long time. Jesus was speaking of a second experience, something beyond salvation and coming to faith in Jesus. This was something different. 
This was something second, something new. Jesus says, verse 8, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. So what do they do? Well, they return to Jerusalem. We talked a little bit about this last week. Look at verse 13. When they arrived in Jerusalem, they went to the upstairs room of the house where they were staying. Here are the names of those who were present. Peter, John, James, Andrew, Philip, Thomas, Bartholomew, Matthew, James, Simon, and Judas. They all met together and were constantly united in prayer along with Mary, several other women, and the brothers of Jesus. And then in fact, later in Acts chapter 1, the group we learn grows to about 120 believers. 120 followers of Jesus gathering together, meeting together on a regular basis. And then we fast forward to another day. Acts 2 verse 1. On the day of Pentecost, all the believers were meeting together in one place. It's interesting that in the original manuscript where this was written, in the, in the Koine Greek, the writer Luke is emphasizing something that we have a tendency just to read right past and we miss it because um, it just seems like a little add-on to the main point of the sentence. But Luke is emphasizing, he's stressing the point, he's putting emphasis on a, a particular word, actually two words, he's putting emphasis on the day. So, so Luke is basically saying on the day... Of Pentecost. And we, we, we have a tendency to read through that and we, we miss it. But Luke is saying, on this particular day, on a very special, very unique, very significant day, on the day, the day that Jesus talked about, on the day, something specifically happened, symbolically happened. So my question was, if you don't know, I ask questions as I read texts. And the this is kind of the way I teach too. I just ask these questions. My question was, why did Jesus pick this day? Of all the days that he could pick, why did he pick this day? Why did he pick this day as the day that he would pour out his Holy Spirit? Well, there's a couple of reasons. Pentecost, the celebration of Pentecost, was one of the three annual festivals or feasts when all Jewish men were required to travel to Jerusalem to celebrate with sacrifices and offerings at the temple. One of three. So you have all the Jewish men coming into Jerusalem at this time. In fact, it's interesting that this day of Pentecost is mentioned five times in the first five Old Testament books. So there's an emphasis to this day. I think Jesus chose this day because lots of people would be in the city. This was a huge gathering. This was thousands, some scholars believe over a million people would gather for the day of Pentecost celebration in the city of Jerusalem. This was a big deal. Later in Acts chapter 2, we're told that there were Jews and converts to Judaism from over 14 different regions. We're going to talk a little bit about that next, next time. People from all over the known world gathered to Jerusalem for the celebration of Pentecost. So the streets, literally the streets, were lined with thousands of people who had come to celebrate the goodness of God. To get it in our mind, just think of Times Square on New Year's Eve. The ball's ready to drop, and you got a million-plus people gathered. This is what's taking place in the city of Jerusalem. I think this is why Jesus chose that day. Makes sense, because we already know that the church was launched to share the message of Jesus with the world. And the world was gathered 
in Jerusalem on that day. But also I think Jesus chose this day because Pentecost was a celebration of harvest. It was a specific time in ancient Palestine. There were only two harvests each year, harvesting crops. They were an agricultural society, so this was a big deal. Pentecost was a celebration at the beginning of the early weeks of harvest. And so this carries symbolism. It's not just, you know, pragmatic that Jesus would choose this day because lots of people were there, but the symbolism is huge for us to realize that the outpouring of the Holy Spirit was meant to bring a great harvest of people. We're going to see that next week. That, that's exactly what took place. Many, many people came as, as this harvest took place of souls, of lives. You know the sad thing? That I find, I mean, you know, here we are connected to the Assemblies of God network and we're, we're this kind of church. But I find it sad that the term Pentecostal has become more associated with speaking in tongues than with sharing the message of Jesus Christ. And that bothers me. That, that Pentecost, if we look at this time, and in Acts chapter 2, Pentecost is about harvest. Jesus clearly connected the outpouring of the Holy Spirit um, with harvesting the world, to, to empower the church, to penetrate the world with the message of Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit is poured out for the harvest of souls, and any time the church loses sight of that, we get in trouble. Don't miss that Acts chapter 2 tells us that all believers were gathered. That those who were together that day were already in a relationship with Jesus. And this outpouring was, was, you know, the Holy Spirit was not for salvation. It was for empowering, a second experience, spiritually empowered for the task that Jesus had given them, spiritually empowered to do what Jesus is calling you to do. And I don't know about you, but I need the Holy Spirit power in my life to do what Jesus has called me to do. I think you do too. On that day, all the believers were meeting together in one place. Look at it, verse 2. And suddenly, say that word with me, suddenly. He didn't say it. Come on, say it with me. Suddenly, there was a sound from heaven like the roaring of a mighty windstorm. And it filled the house where they were sitting. Dictionary.com says that suddenly means without warning or unexpectedly. I love this about God. I love this aspect of God. You know what? You can't predict what God will do. You can't predict when God will do it. I, I like to say that you can't put God in a box. You never know what he's, he just moves suddenly. I love this. Suddenly, I think, is when God does his best work. At least in my life, that's what I've discovered. Moses tending sheep when he suddenly hears from God through a burning bush. Joseph in prison when he suddenly gets a call from Pharaoh. Joshua and the Israelites walking around Jericho and suddenly the walls fall. Suddenly it says in scripture in Luke that the angel appears to shepherds to give them a birth announcement of Jesus being born. The disciples struggling in a boat during a storm and guess what? Suddenly Jesus appears walking on the water. Suddenly is when God does his best work. And in Acts 2, suddenly God pours out his spirit. Now here's the kicker though. Most of us crave predictability, but much of what God does is suddenly. <laughs> See, we, we like to have it nice and neat and packaged so that we can, hang on, 
control it. So God, if you could just fit in this compartment for me, if you could do it just this way on this day, then I would be okay with it. You know what that's doing? That's trying to put God in a box. And God he can't be put in a box. <laughs> Interrupting our scheduled life with something that we never expect. We, we want everything scripted out. But that's not the way God works. See, the mistake we make is we tell God what to do and how to do it and when to do it. <laughs> Instead of trying to make plans for God, maybe we should seek God's plan. Instead of making, trying to make plans for God, we should seek his plan. Maybe we should stop trying to plan things for God. Maybe we should stick you know, to prayer and let God handle the logistics, the when, the where, the how. That's what the, that's what the disciples did that day. The narrative says, suddenly, there was a sound from heaven like the roaring of a mighty windstorm, and it filled the house where they were sitting. Now, we might miss it today because we're not tuned into this kind of language, but no one in the room that day would have missed what just took place. See, wind is an indicator of the presence of God's Spirit. All throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament, all throughout the Bible, wind is an indicator of the presence of God. The Greek word in the New Testament, the Greek word for spirit is the word pneuma, which also means wind or breath. It's interesting that Jesus spoke of the Holy Spirit like being like a wind in a conversation he had with Nicodemus in John chapter 3. It's interesting too that in John, Jesus says to his disciples, he, he breathes on them, and then he says, receive the Holy Spirit. So, so there's this connection with this idea of wind or breath. Um, uh, the Hebrew word for spirit is the word ruah which also means wind or breath. And we're told in Genesis that when God created man, it says in Genesis 2-7, the Lord God breathed the breath, the ruah of life into man's nostrils and the man became a living person. What's the difference between a living person and a dead person? Breath. Think about it. And just as breath is the source of physical life, the wind would be the essence of life in the followers of Jesus Christ. The coming of the Spirit of God to bring them into this new kind of spiritual life. The mighty power of God came rushing in, blowing into the room. Look at verse 3. Then what looked like flames of fire appeared and settled on each of them. Now everyone, again, would have in instantly recognized this visible sign of the presence of God. We look at it and go, whoa, that's some incredible special effects, right? But, but th to them, this meant, this was a common evidence of God's presence. Throughout the Old Testament, fire is the most common evidence of God's presence in Scripture. God, think about it, God met with Moses at a burning bush. God led the nation of Israel with a pillar of fire. Elijah went to heaven with a chariot of Fire. Fire was the presence of God manifest to his people. In fact, in Exodus 19, look at how the presence of God was shown. 
says, all of Mount Sinai was covered with a smoke because the Lord had descended on it in the form of what? Fire. Fire. So God was signifying something. Through the wind, through the fire, God was signifying something very important was taking place. Look at verse 4. And everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit and began speaking in other languages as the Holy Spirit gave them this ability. You know what's, what's incredibly significant in this verse? It's what's highlighted on the screen. Everyone, everyone was filled with the Holy Spirit. I want you to say everyone with me. Come on. Everyone, everyone was affected that day by the Holy Spirit. In fact, I want you to get this down on your outline. All the followers were filled with the Holy Spirit. I know that's not really profound, but it's very significant. All the followers were filled with the Holy Spirit. It's crazy how, um, and maybe because of my line of work and and I'm into, you know, studying the Scripture and and the Hebrew and and, um, uh, the the Jewish scriptures of the Old Testament and the, the Christian scriptures of the New Testament and all of this combined, it's amazing to me. It's amazing how we begin to see God pointing to things that are going to take place. He gives us heads up. And I don't know if you've spent time reading the Old Testament, but there's so much um, pointing that God is saying, this is what's going to happen in the future. We come across an event, there's a preview of this event, this day of Pentecost, where the Holy Spirit came upon everyone that was in the room. There's a preview of this event back in the Old Testament. In Numbers chapter 11, it's a, it's a very interesting story. I don't have time to go into all of it. But basically God is saying, you know what, Moses? The load is too much for you to carry by yourself. I mean, a million plus people that he's trying to lead. And he says, it's too much. So we're going we're gonna to take the spirit that is upon you and we're going we're gonna to give it out to other leaders. And so God gives the same spirit that's on Moses to 70 elders. And the way that people knew that God had done this was through what came out of their mouth. That's how they knew that the Spirit of God was on them from what came out of their mouth. Take a look. Numbers 11, verse 24. Moses gathered the 70 elders and stationed them around the tabernacle. And the Lord came down in a cloud and gave the 70 elders the same Spirit that was upon Moses. And when the Spirit rested upon them, they prophesied. Something came out of their mouth. Everybody follow me on that? It's real important for us to see. All 70 experienced this this, um, baptism, if you will, of the Holy Spirit, of the Spirit of God, and something came out of their mouth. Now, to even emphasize it more, there's a second part of the story that I find so interesting. Take a look. Two men stayed behind in the camp. We don't know why they weren't there. So really, there were only 68 elders, right? We don't know why the two, I mean, maybe they missed their alarm clock or, I, you know, I don't know. I don't know why they weren't there, but they weren't at the tabernacle. And it says they were listed among the elders, but they had not gone to the tabernacle. Yet the Spirit rested upon them as well. So just like the Holy Spirit, uh, the Spirit of God falling upon the elders that were gathered at the tabernacle, he also fell on those that were back at their tents, back at home. These two guys that weren't there. And look at what happens. 
The Spirit rested upon them as well. So they prophesied, again, it's coming out of their mouth, they prophesied there in the camp. And Joshua, who's Moses' assistant at this time, he says, Moses, my master, make them stop. Basically, he's saying, hey, look, they didn't come, so they don't get in on any of this. They weren't with us, so why are they doing that out there? You told us this. He was a man of orders and following commands. And he's like, hey, you, know, the, you, you told us to do this. They didn't come. How come that's going on out there? You've got to stop them. They are rebelling against your command. And look at what Moses says. Moses says, I wish, hang on here, I wish that all the Lord's people were prophets and that the Lord would put his spirit upon them all. He's not just talking about the elders. Now Moses is saying, I wish, I wish it was everybody. And not just you 70. I wish it was all of us, million plus people. I wish all of us could experience this pouring out of the spirit of God. And that they were prophets. That they would speak with their mouths the things of God. That is exactly what took place in Acts chapter 2. We read that. And the day of Pentecost, look at it again. Everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit and began speaking in other languages as the Holy Spirit gave them this ability. We're going to talk more about this in our next study. But for today, I want you to see that this was a defining moment in the history of the church. It was a moment when God poured out the power of the Holy Spirit to his church, to his followers. It was a day when he fulfilled his promise, not just for those who were gathered on that day, but that the second experience is as much for us today as it was for them. We are to be people of the Holy Spirit, you and I. If we are followers of Jesus, we are to be people who are filled with, with the Holy Spirit, and just like Moses, man, I wish that all of us would experience this. I wish that all of us would experience the pouring out of the Holy Spirit in our lives. So as we wrap off today, I know I'm kind of shifting gears, but I, I read this story this week, and I, and I felt like the Holy Spirit just impressed upon my heart to share it. Because I want us to see that Jesus wants to do something if something special in our life, something different, something new in our life, something that we don't expect in our lives. We already have seen that Jesus is the one that baptizes in the Holy Spirit. John the Baptist said that, you know, that he baptizes in water, but Jesus will baptize with the Holy Spirit. So Jesus is the one that initiates this. And, and I, I look back to a story in Luke chapter 5 that gives us a picture of what Jesus wants to do in our lives. And I don't know, you may have never seen this story this way, but, but I think it's it's a metaphor. I think it's what, what Jesus wants to show us how he wants to move in our lives. Take a look. Verse 3. Stepping into one of the boats, Jesus asked Simon, that's Peter, to push out into the water. So he sat in the boat and he taught the crowds from there. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, now go where it's deeper. Basically, let's go a little farther out where it's deeper. And then he said, and let down your nets to catch some fish. Now, I don't know about you, but I read this story and I, I look at it and I think, who is he, this carpenter's son, this rabbi teacher, who is he to give the fisherman, Simon, advice? 
I mean, come on. This is a professional fisherman you're talking about. And he says, I want you to, I want you to put out deeper, deeper water, and then I want you to drop your nets. And look at what Simon says. Master, we've worked hard all last night, and we didn't catch a thing. Now, if you don't know, basically they would drop nets to catch fish, and fish would come to the surface when the water was cooler. In the heat of the day, the fish would sink down deeper. They'd never reach them with their nets. And now this is in daytime. And Simon is saying, you know, you know, love you, bud. Bless your heart. But you just don't know. I mean, you know, we, we did this all night when we were supposed to, when the water's cooler, when we could catch fish. And we didn't catch a thing. So it's just not going to happen. No, he, he didn't stop there, though. Look what he says. We worked hard all night, didn't catch a thing. But if you say so, I'll let the nets down again. I, I hit that this week. And I felt like God was saying, it's your choice. It's your choice. It's your choice. It's my choice. How much do we want Jesus to do in our lives? It's your choice. It's my choice. Jesus, I, you know, I, I, I work is hard and nothing's ever going to, my marriage is difficult and nothing's ever going to change. My, you know, my health is bad and nothing's ever going to, and Jesus comes along and he says, it's your choice. What do you want me to do in your life? It's your choice. You can, you can give me these excuses or you can open up to what I want to do. Remember the song we sang, your presence is an open door. And Jesus, I think, is saying to us, friends, he's saying to us here at Pathway Church, I have so much more for you, more than you have experienced so far, but it's your choice. If you say so, Simon says, I'll let the nets down again. Look at it. And this time, <laughs> their nets were so full of fish they began to tear. A shout for help brought their partners in the other boat. And soon, both boats were filled with fish on the verge of sinking. Now, think about how many fish would be in a boat to cause the thing to almost sink. Can you imagine these two boats, and I don't even know if it's two, it may have been more, and they're filled with fish, and fish are flopping everywhere, and they're like, get to the shore, we're sinking! Can you imagine this scene? It was total chaos with all of these fish, and in the midst, and it doesn't say it, and I'm reading into it, but in the midst of this, I can imagine Peter turning and looking at Jesus, realizing what just took place? What just happened? And this is me. This is the way I think. Jesus probably went, there you go, bud. That's what I can do. When you open up to me, when you take your boat out a little deeper, when you say to me, I'm open to more of what you want to do in my life, watch how I'm going to fill your boat going to fill it to overflowing. They hadn't caught fish all night, but now they, they catch more fish than these boats can contain. This is, this is something supernatural. This is something uncontainable. Friends, that's what I believe Jesus wants to speak into our lives today. Get this down. Jesus wants to do something in my life that is uncontainable. 
And remember, we struggle with the uncontainable, unpredictable nature of God, don't we? We hold back. What do you mean uncontainable, Bart? What do you mean unpredictable, Bart? I mean, come on now. I, I, I have a certain persona that I want to I keep. Uh, I, I don't want people to look at me weird. I don't want to be one of those radical people. I, 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 want, I want life within the boundaries that I set. And Jesus comes along and is saying, do you want more? Do you want more? I believe Jesus wants to baptize you with the Holy Spirit. I believe that Jesus wants you to be filled with the Holy Spirit to overflowing. And that's why Jesus says to you and me, not just to them that day, to you and me, you will receive the power. You receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, just like the Jesus followers in the room that day. My question to you, is are you ready to receive what Jesus wants to do in your life? Do you want to be filled to overflowing with the Spirit of God? Are you open to Jesus filling you with the Holy Spirit so much that, you, that it overflows from you? It overflows from your mouth even in praise and worship to God. Are you open to that? Are you ready for that? Maybe that's what you need. Maybe that's why life is so hard right now. Because you're missing something of what Jesus wants to do in your life. Would you bow your heads with me?